Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Julia Wismann. She is film journalist. Hello. First of all, we would like to show you the trailer of The Congress, the new film of Ari Folman. Um, the film is loosely um, based on the novel of the Polish author Stanislaw Lem, The Futurological Congress. And first of all, we show the trailer. You had it all, Robin. A movie queen at 24. All the big studios came crawling. And you slammed all the open doors, crushed all the dreams. Aaron needs me at home. But Aaron is just an excuse. And now what? What are they offering? We want to scan you, all of you, your body, your face, your emotions, your laughter, your tears. We want to sample you, preserve you, and we want to own this thing called Robin Wright. Once they sample you and you're in their computer, there's no way back. The studio owns the character. What character? The one that used to be the actor. Wake up, Robin! This is your gate to freedom! Now smile. Can I go back to where I came from? There is no such thing as the place that you came from. Wow, you look fantastic. Animated, I mean. You are the sixth one today. The sixth what? The sixth Robin, right. very long journey. You just make a choice and you feel whatever you want. What do you choose? And please welcome the director Ari Foreman on stage. <laughs> Welcome in Berlin. Yeah, it's a long introduction. I was waiting since eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, it's a really yeah. long trailer. Yeah. It's a really big film with a lot of fantasy in it and a lot of characters <laughs> and a lot of ideas and a lot of questions also. And I have some questions for you. Um, Let's do them. How, um, we know you from Waltz with Bashir. Yes. How did this story come to you? Why Stanislav Lem? <coughs> Why the Futurological Congress? Well, uh, after Waltz with Bashir, I felt that I want to run away a little bit from myself and from war zone and dealing with tough issues. And I thought that the perfect escape would be to go to the sci-fi genre, which is my favorite one. And uh, Stanislav Lem is my favorite sci-fi writer ever. I read this novel first time when I was 16 in high school, and I don't think I got all of it. I just got back then the cool factor of the drugs and hallucinations, and it was fantastic. And then I read it again in film school. And in film school, I... I discovered more layers of the novel, um, much more deep. 
And after Bashir, I was looking for a new project, I thought it's a perfect one to explore. So I went for it. So why do you like sci-fi? What's um, great about is, uh, this kind of escape? It's an escape. It's, it's a good way of traveling in time and forgetting your everyday life. It promises you, I think, a lot of stuff that religious sometimes is trying to promise you without the religious bullshit in it, you know? Uh, like eternal lifetime and uh, just the, the idea of traveling and uh, being uh, temporarily here and always on the way to, to, to another, to exploring another place, another universe, another life. And I mean, it's the perfect escape. In the film itself, um, um, there's live action and animation. Yeah. Like um, after 40 minutes, the animation oh, part yeah. starts, or an hour. Yeah. Um, so the film um, is about an actress who has sold her image yes. um, to a film studio, um, and she is, has been scanned electronically. So is this the future of cinema? No, this is the... Um, unfortunately, it's the present of cinema. It's a documentary element in the movie. <clears throat> the film talks about Robin Wright, the actress whom we know very well from the movies Forrest Gump and Princess Bride, and now from this wonderful TV series called House of Cards. She plays herself in the movie. She plays the actor Robin Wright, who is receiving a huge offer from, from Miramount Studios, and the offer is that she will be scanned and sampled into their computers, And they will make with her all the movies that she didn't make in her entire career. And in order to seal the deal, not only that she will get tons of money, obviously, they promise her that in the films that they're going to recreate or create with her, she's going to stay forever young, 32 years old, and she will, 34 years old, she will never age again. So this is the deal. And the first part, which is the live action part, is following the temptation and the, 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 the hunt of the studio after the image of Robin Wright. The second part is where we jump in time 20 years later uh, to what has become of our world. And Robin is traveling to Abrahama City, which is um, my future idea of how Disneyland is going to look in 20 years. And basically, it's a place that when you enter, you break an ampoule, you sniff it, you become a cartoon animated character, and everything around you in town is animated as well. And, and the hallucination is replacing reality. Yes. And the hallucination and the chemical future of cinema is you and your free choice to create in your mind all the movies you always wanted to create and to be everything you always, or everyone, you, or each one, or each character you always wanted to be. And... It deals, I mean, it takes elements, like any sci-fi issue, it takes elements from our everyday life and it stimulates them in a fantastic way in order to deal with them in the setup of the future. And there are a lot of characters um, mingling. Um, there's uh, Michael Jackson, there's Yoko Ono, um, Osama Bin Laden, I saw, yes. um, Picasso, Frida Kahlo. Yes. So, um, but that's scary, isn't it? Um, It depends how you look at it and what's your situation in your mind. If you 
if you consume it and when you consume it. In general, of course, it has a fun factor and a trippy factor of watching this kind of film. But it also has something to say in the world where we're living in because, and this is part of the novel as well, it says that, okay, this is our life now. I give you an ampoule. You can break it. You can sniff it. And you become whoever you want to become. Okay? And most people, they want to become only the, this famous guy or girl that they know from stage, from TV, from reality TV. They don't want to be the neighbor next door who has a bakery and he loves his wife and he has kids and he's going to church every Sunday. They want to be someone famous. And this is like the biggest dream. And this is why we have so many replicants who are exactly the same, because people would choose to be the same as everybody else. Is there also an Ari Foreman in the scene and I probably didn't see it? No, why should there be? I mean, who wants to be me? I don't know. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> And uh, is there a character you would like to be in an animation, in an animated world? Uh, yeah, there are a few. For there example? are a few. One is a very prestigious sailor. I was reading about a lot because I'm a sailor. I sail, and um, I would like to meet in the animated world Frank Zappa and have a vegetarian dinner with him and discuss uh, uh, the cruelty of big, uh, gigantic um, entertainment business, like from his time, the record uh, manufacturers. And, um, and yeah, Frank Zappa is a good deal. So your film is also, a, you criticize um, the film studios, the film industry, the, the entertainment industry. Um, why is it, um, yeah, is it, yeah, I, I can't really say. Um, is it true that uh, the state of, uh, or the condition of the film industry is like, like you show in the film? I, I don't try to judge. I don't think it's my... Um, <clears throat> my objective mission here is judging the current state of cinema. This is too big for me. But I just want to, you know, put reality on a table a little bit. And I think today, films in general have changed dramatically because of technological changes, because of CGI, because of um, motion capture that you could see in Avatar, because of the fact that you can use scanned actors. And due to that, the role of the director has changed dramatically as well. Because if once the role of the, the director in traditional way was going on set for a limited part of time, 20 days, 30 days, six months if you're lucky in America, and create this magic between the director and the actors and the cinematographer and um, the gaffers and the designers, and what you did on the set is what you have. Today, the set is just a platform, it's a prologue for what will be afterwards in, in the post-production houses where you really create the film. And this is different, it's a, it's, it's a different profession now. Maybe one day people will watch our discussion and they will look at us as really old-timers complaining about the changes, like people in 1927 complained about the first sound um, speaking movie and it will be the same. 
I don't know, I don't try to judge, but from what I see in cinema today, either you have huge Transformers, uh, X-Men, prequels, sequels, I don't know what kind, in, the, in multiplexes, and the small art house movies, I think in 10 years' time they might move, they might move to, uh, to museums. Probably. Yeah. For example, Agent Al um, tells Robin Wright in the film, what difference does it make? Um, you're already a puppet from the film yeah. industry, so you, you have to do what they want you to do, and um, so earn money from selling your image. Um, all, all that you have to do is um, you, you have to sign that uh, you never go on stage again, that you never play in a film again, because you are only, only the image, the electronical scanned image um, of your... I, I think that I think that in 15 years' time, for kids of today who are born in an iPad, uh, in one uh, we're not going to promote Apple, although we're here in the store. But they're born with uh, an iPad. The digital. One, yeah, and the, and the Sony PlayStation on the other hand, and everything is digital for them. I don't think they will give a damn in 15 years if the character in the movie is a real character, a real person behind it, or or if it's a scanned or an avatar character, why should they really care? I don't think it's important to them anymore. And it's fine, you know, this is life. This is life. Um, so, but uh, Robin Wright says, um, at first she doesn't want to sign the contract, and she says, oh, the gift of choice is so yes. important. Why do you think it's so important? The gift of choice? Listen, for me, liberty, and uh, being independent is the most important film uh, thing in, in being a filmmaker. And it's the gift of choice. It's not to work for anybody, but just be loyal to yourself and create whatever you wanna, wanna do. And I think um, in, in being a filmmaker is being more, a little bit more lucky than being an actor or an actress because they're waiting They're waiting, they're always in a hunt and they're always in waiting position for a good script, for a good job, you know, for a good movie. And then when this good movie comes, they're part of who knows how many candidates to take it. This is why so many of them, they, they, they start even in older age to write and produce and direct in order to create for themselves more opportunities to just to perform. Because think sometimes how tough it is and frustrating when you're a good actor or an actress, but you're not dependent on yourself. You're dependent on so someone else's choice. This is tough. And then you're dependent on what he's going to do with the material that you give him on set, where you really try hard. And now when I speak about it, it's even more tougher than I thought it was before I entered this room. So, um, talking about um, the actress, the actress, Robin Wright, um, she's like the typical American girl, as you said, she's, she's Jenny in First Gump or the um, Princess Bride. She just um, sh uh, shot a film here in Germany, um, The Most Wanted Man, with um, Anton Corbin. But um, right. she's also playing herself in a way. Uh, is, uh, what Depends who you're yeah, asking. But I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, but is there a relationship between her character in the film and herself? Well, I wrote it about her, uh, but when we premiered the film in Cannes three months ago, I, uh, I had a few interviews with her. We were interviewed together, and um, 
the way I, I heard it is that she doesn't think it's her in the movie. She says that she gave me the name Robin Wright. She gave me the titles that she participated in, in Forrest Gump and Princess Bride. Uh, she gave me the fact that she's a single mother to two kids. Other than that, she has nothing to do with the character, which I think it's pretty cool. Because if she could do this twist in the mind and to believe that she's going on stage and acting someone else who just by chance carries some similarities with her in real life, uh, this, is a, this is a gift that only very talented um, and clever actors can do. I mean, probably you and I, we couldn't do it. No, no. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Um, and Robin Wright, um, why did you decide to, to take her? Because I read um, at first you had Kate Blanchett in mind. Yeah. And then um, you met Robin Wright, is it? Yeah, I met her by chance in a ceremony in LA. Uh, she was sitting just across the table and I thought she's stunning. And uh, she has something really emotional in her, vulnerable, the way you see her and I already wrote the, the, the opening shot of the movie when we trek out from the actress's eyes and we hear her agent telling about her false career. And I could see that shot happening that evening and I knew immediately that um, it, was, it, was, you know, it was like, like love from first sight. I had to go for it and I went for it and this was it. She committed immediately the next day and we went for this never-ending journey of I don't know how many years. And um, how did she like her um, avatar character? How, how did she like the, the, the drawing? Well, she's doing uh, many characters in the movie. She's Robin Wright, the actress who plays Robin Wright. She's the avatar character, the animated character of the old Robin Wright. She's Agent Robin, which is the 3D character the studio is making out of her after she sold her image. Um, she's, um, she's a singer, she sings two songs in the movie. She's this girl on the red carpet. I don't know how many, how many characters she's doing in this film. So I think it's very versatile and of course she's happy with it. But when she enters the animated world, she talks to her son in the other, in the real world. Um, and she, she describes herself, oh, um, I look like a combination between Cinderella on heroin and an Egyptian queen on a bad hair day. Yes. I like that. I feel like that sometimes. Yes, you well. do. <laughs> yes. So um, <laughs> who created all these animated characters? I mean, it's, it's uh, you see in the, um, on the, um, the poster all these... Well, we have a, I have an unbelievable uh, talented team working with me in Tel Aviv. So we have the production designer, David Polonsky, who did the live action and the animation as well, and director of animation, Yoni Goodman, and all the replicants, the characters. We had a meeting in the studio, and I told them in order that you be happy, each one comes up with two free characters, and we make the list, and then we make the short list, and just think about who do you want to illustrate more than anyone else. So it was like a community decision, very democratic, and they brought the characters in and we dropped them in the movie. And um, the director, Yoni Goodman, um, um, coordinated all these? Yeah, he was the artwork? director of animation and basically we did animation in nine countries. Wow. 
which is completely insane. You don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. When I started the project, I had really black hair, you know, and it turned out white because of that. And uh, it was tough. It was, it was too much. But according to European financing system, you have no real choice because you raise money in different countries and different regions, and you have to spend the, run, the money where, where you raise it. So we had to work eventually in the places where we raised money, and it became like six in the beginning, then nine different places. And the live action film is also um, shot in, in Berlin. I saw some it shot Mainly it shot in California, and it shot in Berlin, in Tempelhof. And in Northern Despalia, we have seen the, the, the other trailer is shot there near Dortmund. Yeah. So what, what did you like about um, the old airport temple of here? Well, I think it's one of the most extraordinary building I've ever seen, uh, architecture-wise. It's fantastic inside. We had more scenes inside that somehow didn't make them their way into the movie as well. But it's a, it's a blowing mind architecture. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned um, the scene on the um, where sh um, she plays the character, the, the rebel, rebel Robin. Yeah, yeah, the um, agent. Yeah, the agent, agent um, Robin, and she's she's on this bomb, and this is a tribute to Doctor Strange. Yes, life, obviously. I guess. Obviously, and um, so you, you like Stanley Kubrick, I guess. Well, uh, of course, uh, I love Kubrick, and uh, we have. The music from Barry Lyndon used, uh, uh, it's not his music, but it's used, it's used in the entrance to Abrahama City. And we have um, a, the tribute, as much as I could do uh, to imitate this, the, original, uh, the original scene of Doctor Strangelove, the bomb scene, one of the most famous scenes, I think, in the history of films. And in the ending, uh, which we're not going to give the spoiler here, But it takes a lot from the Odyssey 2001 uh, of his. So it's, uh, for me, in my mind at least, it's, uh, it's influenced a lot by Kubrick, who I think, uh, for me, maybe was the greatest filmmakers, a filmmaker ever, because I think in each and every genre, he made one of the top one or two films, in comedy, in horror, in sci-fi, in historic drama, war movies, he explored and he tried so many ways and each and every one of them is different and is a great movie. So he's one of a kind, he's a master. Your films are also very different. You, you, you did a lot of documentaries and yeah. Walter Bashir, of course, um, the highly awarded film. Um, so uh, compare, when you uh, compare your work, um, how important is the Congress for you? Uh, I think that every film that you do, you're close circles in your life that are not close. Even if you're aware of what you're doing or non-aware sometimes, but one day you will wake up in the morning and you will understand why you did this film and why you did this film a different way. Uh, I feel very connected to this film because I think it represents me as a person, as a human being, uh, better than other films. Uh, It's more complex, it's really wild and vivid, and um, I love the film. It's really wild, it's really like a trip. <laughs> yeah, it is a trip. And it's good to mention it that after all the serious stuff that we've been talking now, first of all, it's a trip that 
when you go to the theater and watch it, and don't watch it downloaded, just go to the theater and watch it, um, you, you, you enter the, the, this journey with Robin Wright, she's a gorgeous, beautiful, brave, clever actress in one universe, and you end up after two hours riding this roller coaster in a completely different universe, and you cannot complain that the value of the ticket was, we didn't gain it back when in, in the cinema, so. Yeah, because it's a trip and you don't have to take drugs. I mean, that's really great. I mean, you can do it with drugs as oh, well. I think it's too, uh, that yeah, is really too it's much. It's up to you, but <laughs> from what I read in the critics, some of them could do it without drugs as well. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I would like to talk about uh, another um, character in the, in the um, animated world. Um, he's called uh, Reef Bobs. Yes. Reef Bobs. Reef um, Bobs, yeah. Who could that be? Yeah. Who? 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 Who, who could who? that be? Who? Who? Who I mean, he's, a, he's um, I have to explain it. Um, you, you, um, you can see him in the trailer also. He's um, yeah, like a prophet and he's preaching the future of, of technology. technology in a way. Yeah. And, in uh, German, by the way, in the German dubbing, he's. Man, it's like. Tough? Yeah. He's like. Mm. He's real tough. He's, mm -hmm. We don't say okay. names, but it's real tough. Okay. Of course, uh, uh, it, it was uh, influenced a lot by Steve Jobs. Um, who was the prophet of technology until he died? I was always amazed by friends of mine who, because of time difference, used to wake at 4 a.m. in the morning to see Steve Jobs standing on stage and uh, presenting the new iPad. Um, or iPhone, it amazed me. And the connection, you know, we didn't have like really broad line and it was tough to watch, but they, they were there. And uh, considering the fact that um, us freaks, we used to uh, take a mortgage in the bank in the late 80s and beginning of the 90s to buy an Apple computer, it's pretty amazing what happened during all, all these years, for the good and for the worse, by the way if we can criticize in-house. And um, I think in the end, he really, he got to the stage of a guru, of a religious guru, because I met so many people that Apple became religious for them. Uh, maybe a replacement for Catholic religious is a matter of uh, perception and perspective in life, but, but it's true. You know, it was like religious. So I thought that it, it was the time to make a little bit fun of it as well. And we did in that really huge, loudy scene. So um, what do you think, what, 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 uh, what would have um, Steve Jobs um, think of your, your film? And of this? I don't think thing. he would have had time to watch it, honestly. Probably, he didn't have time to stuff like that. Probably, He yeah. was too busy. I mean, is this, um, th there's a key scene in, in the film, um, you see in the trailer also, um, the, uh, Robin Wright, the, the, the real actor, is um, being scanned in this enormous um, uh, 360 yeah. degree bubble thing. Um, so is this real, is it? Um, yeah, this is a real uh, scanning facility. Uh, placed in USC University of Southern California <clears throat> in Los Angeles. 
It's, um, you can see it in TED or in YouTube. It's called Light Stage 5. This is where uh, they scan actors today. And I am in the preliminary plan of the, of the movie. It was supposed to be done, ironically, in a city room or x-ray room. But when I came to LA and I saw this huge ball with hundreds of lights and cameras, I thought it's a, it's a perfect place to write a new scene. And I wrote a new scene about the scanning. And it is amazing. It's an amazing place from, from all aspects. And inside of this bubble, she loses um, somehow, or he, he, she realizes what really happens with her? Uh, are, you, are you talking about real life or about the movie? Or mm, no, no, um, the, because movie, it, the movie. Because in real life, which I think is more interesting than in the movie, when she walked out of that day, she told me that she felt that her soul was sucked away and dried out of her by the machine, although she was just playing and acting. Oh, okay. So you really have to see this film. Um, but yes. first, um, take the chance and ask questions. Meeting the filmmaker Ari Folman. So there's this part where um, it changes from the real life, like from yeah. in the film to animation. How does it change between those scenes? Well, the film, uh, the first part is. Um, It's taking place in present, and it's about Robin getting the, the, the offer to be scanned and sampled, as I, as I said before. And then we jump 20 years later, and um, the, the Robin is, is arriving to Abrahama City to uh, sign an extension of the contract. Now, Abrahama City is the future Disneyland. Is, is Euro Disney, as you, say, as, as you have it, but 20 years from now. And what I invented there is this place that you come in, you break an apple, you sniff it, you become a cartoon, and everybody around you becomes a cartoon as well. And the cartoon style is really old style from the 1930s. It's pure fun. And then when you want to leave after a few hours, like, like in Disney World, you break another ampoule, you sniff it, you become back yourself. But the same day that she arrives, just by chance, there is a revolution going on there, and the company declares that now you're kind of, whoever is there captured in your, in your animated character. So you can come in, sniff the ampoule, be a cartoon, but you can never go back to be what you used to be, which is kind of frightening for some people, maybe. There's another I question. I have a quick question from an Ari to another Ari. It's probably something that you might not want to talk about because um, I got the feeling that you were affected by it, but your first film, Waltz with Bashir, I, I, it still resonates with me even many years after and the soundtrack, which I think is one of the great soundtracks in film history, in my opinion. And um, just to ask you again, like, I mean, does it, how does it fit still into your, into your, into your world? I mean, you, you, I got the feeling that you ran away from it. Could you elaborate a bit more on that experience and how it affected you and the, because it was so personal and, you know. The, well, I think that uh, making Waltz of Bashir was pure fun. Of course, it, I mean, the research part and meeting again the people, it might have been tough, but the movie itself, the making of it, it was uh, really an era of innocence for everybody who was involved because we had no clue 
no fantasy even how far this film is going to go. We were just six or nine people at the most in the backyard of a, of a house in Tel Aviv creating the, the film, and then it exploded and it went everywhere, which was a surprise. I think traveling with it was the toughest part. Um, I was very lonely for a year, traveling with the film and all those there. I was so happy that the film was sold all over the world that I promised each and every distributor that I will come personally and promote the movie. And then I stupidly signed it. So I really literally had to travel with the film for one year and answer the same eight questions for a year. That was very tough. And this is why when I came back completely exhausted, um, I knew that I needed something else to run away towards. And this is why we're here tonight. Tonight, today, I don't know what time it is. <laughs> We escaped yeah, in yeah, an imagined yeah. world. <laughs> Are there more questions here? Please wait for the microphone. Hello. Um, I heard that the movie is based on a book. I don't remember the name of the book. Futurological uh, Congress. Of Stanislav Lem. Uh, yeah, but it's, uh, it's quite like broadly based that you made a lot of changes. Uh, I'm, I don't know. I never read the book. So I'm interested to hear about the decision to make those changes. And uh, I heard also that it was pretty hard to get the rights uh, to, to work with a book from whoever. Uh, well, um, I think when you adapt a book into a film, you have to take the liberty to do whatever you want to do. Especially if it's a book that you really love and uh, you cherish the writer, like I adore Stanislav Lem. If you really um, think that you can do the film by copying the book, you're, you're finished. It will never work because it's different formats and they don't convert. You need to take your own way. And when I started the process, by chance, there was a fantasy festival in Tel Aviv and there was a, a, a lecture by a Polish journalist because the film... Is the book is Polish. And the title was, Why did Stanislav Lem hate all the film adaptations that were made out of his books? And I attended that lecture, and I felt so good, because I thought, yeah, if they're going to hate this one as well, I'm in a good company, because there was one adaptation of Solaris by Tarkovsky, who was a great master of cinema, and one by Steven Soderbergh, who was a great master of cinema. And I said, okay, so they don't like mine as well. Everything's going to be cool. And this is where I got the freedom to do whatever I want to do because I thought that even if I try to please them, they will never be pleased like the other guys. So the first part has nothing to do with the book, but it's inspired by the book. And the second part, which is the animated part, has a lot from the book. But I think the spirit of the novel is there in each and every scene. And surprisingly... Um, a screening was held to the Stanislav Lem family because he died, unfortunately, a few years ago, um, 10 days ago in Warsaw, and they loved the film, and they thought it was the most accurate adaptation <clears throat> ever made, although Ion Tichy, the journalist from the book, is now Robin Wright, this gorgeous blonde actress from, uh, uh, from California. This is what became of the Polish journalist, you know? 
So, and they still love it because they think that the elements are there. And this novel is a novel with huge spirit. And I, 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 I did pay a lot of tribute to the spirit, not exactly to the storyline. And we have a lot of scenes in the movie um, in the animated part that are copied one by one from the book as well. Uh, can I ask him, what, what is the spirit of uh, Stanislav Slem's novel, Future uh, the Congress? I think it has a lot of layers, as I discussed in the beginning. It has a fun factor, a big one, um, that doesn't treat himself too seriously on one hand. On the other hand, it says a lot of very, very severe and serious things about life. And it's all there. Uh, as I said many times today, it's about identity. It's about what does it mean? Free choice. Everything is there. Now, Lem wrote basically an allegory about the communist era, which he lived in the late 60s. And in order to, you know, fog it a little bit, because obviously, because he lived in Poland, he wrote it about Costa Ricana, which is an uh, imaginary imaginary country in Southern America. But I didn't grow up in the communist era. So I needed to invent something that comes from me, that I can deal with. So I think the spirit is there. You read the book, you go to the cinema, you don't have to consume drugs for that, and you will see. And is there um, a reason why you call it the Futurist Congress in the animation? Art. And not the Futurological? Can you say three times in a row no, the Futurological Congress? I, I don't this is the reason. Anything. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the reason. Okay. Is there another question? Um, do you have special challenges in making this? So this is kind of like two types of movie into one, like um, the, the real actors part, the real actor part and the animation type the animation movie, so is there a, a special challenge on how you could make those two work together well? Yes. Well, it's the biggest challenge, it's the biggest challenge in the movie, by far, was to combine between the live action and animation and make the audience believe and follow the fact that they see for nearly one hour a live action film as they're used to, and suddenly the leading actress, she breaks an ample, she sniffs it, she becomes a cartoon, and you still have to believe that it's the same person. This is a huge challenge. Only this alone is a challenge of a lifetime, you know? So what I did in order to ease the pressure here, I shot the whole animated part with the actors. And they, they, they perform for the animators. They are really there. I thought that it's crucial that if you already get to know the actress in the first part and the other actors, when you see them animated, they will have the same style of walking, for example, the same facial expressions, uh, all this stuff. And in order to, to imitate it correctly, I shot the animated part, I cut it, and it's a, it's a video, it's a video movie that you can see. And based on that, we did the video board and the design and everything. And I must tell you that the actors who are big American actors, Robin and Harvey Keitel and John Hamm, I think they've seen everything, but I don't think they ever 
acted and played for animators. And they really loved it so much, they put a lot of effort in it, and I think it, it, it shows. Because each animator who was working on the animation, he had the reference on, on, a, on a monitor, on a screen of the, of the actor's work. So the animator saw the, the video and, and then drew it? Yeah. They didn't work on the video, which no, is no, rotoscopia, and it's insulting to say it to an animator, because sometimes you read, oh, oh beautiful rotoscopia in the movie, ah, they want to kill themselves. Not again, you know, we worked so hard. They saw it here, and they worked here. And it's handmade. Handmade. With pen. Handmade. Or with a... Handmade in nine different countries, handmade. Wow, handmade in nine <laughs> different countries, I mean, yeah, handmade. that's really unique. <laughs> it is. It could be a subtitle of the movie. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good idea. There's another question. Did you only shoot um, the animated part with uh, the three or four main actors, or did you really stage big scenes? I stage everything. I stage everything is staged... Also, you can't see it here, but um, you know, if there is a robot taking her to the room, we shot a, a midget on the set, taking her with her suitcases to the room. Everything is shot. I try to dramatize everything that you see. If they're on the deck of the ship and rebels are coming, we had, I don't know how many extras, uh, 30 or 40 extras running in the studio to imitate like the rebels running in and out. Everything is shot. It's really an interesting piece of work to see it, the video. It's funny. It's really weird. Because, of course, there's there are no costumes. Everybody comes dressed from home. But uh, the essence of, of it is there. How do you, how do you work um, when you are not working with, um, for the animated um, parts? Do you have storyboards? Do you think um, of, um, in, in pictures when you No, this is why I shoot film? the movie, because I'm not an animator. And I can't draw, okay? So I, have, I need basics in order to work with my team. Um, so this is why I shoot everything, and then I cut it with my editor, and then I present them a film. In this case, 60 minutes film. And then I go with Yoni, who is the animation director, and we storyboard the whole film that I created. And this is the starting point. And from the storyboards, we go and make uh, the designs and start the line test animation, the basic animation. Okay. Right. How did you get all these, because you mentioned them, Harvey Keitel, Robin Wright, Harvey Keitel, um, Paul Giamatti, um, Don, uh, John Hamm. How did you convince them? I didn't have to, to convince them. If you really want to know, they all came for free. No. Yes. No. I mean, free for American actors is minimum scale is, is $3,200 a day. It's free, basically. Uh, it is free. And because this is what they're obliged by the unions to, to charge. Uh, in many aspects, uh, America is a dreamland. In many aspects. Although sometimes here in Europe, they used to patronize them. But things like that can happen. Because... They, they do a lot of stuff, these people, and basically they earn enough money, okay, to say the least. And they are really longing for good projects, or at least intriguing ones, or cool factor. You can call it however you want. So I sent it to their agents, and they went for it. 
Right. It's called scale, and they, they, they came, as long as you shoot in LA, you don't have to travel them. But Giamatti came to Cologne as well for the Zeppelin scene, so it can happen. Well, thank you very much. Thank um, you. And the, the film um, is coming out here in Germany at the 12th of September. Yes, thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.